What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got two things on the agenda. First, we are going to be doing a bit of a recap of the Blister Summit with our reviewers, Kara Williard and Sasha Anastas and Luke Kappa. And then we are going to be talking about a bunch of skis that we put some initial time on at the summit. Now, the launch of our Blister Summit really was a fantastic and a unique event. And I want to say a huge thank you to all the many, many people and companies who provided help and support with this initial summit. We very literally couldn't have done it without you, and I am looking forward to getting to meet up with each of you and raising a glass with you sometime soon. Now, I also want to give a shout out and say thank you to Irwin Guides. You were phenomenal Blister Summit partners, all the summit attendees and the folks from various brands who you took out into the backcountry were seriously just gushing about how great you all were. Seriously, just raving about it the whole time. And so thank you so much for keeping everybody safe and getting people out into the backcountry. And we look forward to teaming up again next year at the summit. Now, speaking of backcountry skiing... This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Escape Route. Escape Route is a backcountry gear shop located in Whistler, Canada, that specializes in ski touring and mountaineering and climbing and hiking, and they even sell paddleboards in the summer. Escape Route has been sharing their expertise for 30 years now, and you'll find that the staff knows and uses the gear they sell. Escape Route also sells apparel from the likes of Arcteryx and Mountain Hardware, Dinafit, Icebreaker, and others. Plus, they offer boot fitting, transceiver updates, and tech services in the shop, regardless of where you bought the gear from. And if you're not ready to buy just yet, well, then you're going to want to check out Escape Route's Alpine Demo Center, which is their rental shop where you can demo the top backcountry skis and splitboards along with avalanche equipment. Now, to all of our Canadian listeners, we have a special promo code for you. So if you head over to their website at escaperoute.ca and enter the promo code BLISTERREVIEW, then you're going to get $50 off your purchase of $200 or more. Again, the promo code is BLISTERREVIEW and it expires June 30th. Finally, and this is pretty cool, if you are unsure of what gear to get, Escape Route offers a personal gear guide shopping program where you can set up a Zoom call and talk to one of the experts in the shop. They will talk gear with you and find the equipment that will best suit you, and you can book your session on the escaperoute.ca website. And of course, if you are in the Sea to Sky corridor, go and check out the Escape Route stores in Whistler or Squamish. And with that, let's talk about the Blister Summit and a bunch of new skis with Kara and Sasha and Luke. Here we go. Well, I am delighted to be joined here by Kara Williard, Sasha Anastas, and Luke Kappa. 
aka Sexy Luke. As many of you know, we recently wrapped up our inaugural Blister Summit. You all look actually pretty well rested. You look well. That's good. Um, I'm definitely on the on the road to recovery here. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good myself. I think a lot of people would love to just hear a little bit about your thoughts on the summit. And, you know, we, we sort of intentionally tried to do a good job of like leaving Luke and leaving Kara and Sasha out of a lot of the planning because they had their own stuff going on. And so I'm, I'm actually pretty curious just to hear your own thoughts about this and I don't know what you liked and what you thought of our little inaugural blister summit. Kara, by the way, Kara, I finally got you to ski with me. All I had to do was throw a massive like event thing so I guess if I, you know, we'll just have to keep doing this each year because it, it actually forces you to get on a chairlift with me or something like that. So that was delightful. Yeah. So in short, uh, <laughs> I'd say the worst part of the summit was that I didn't get to see or ski with Sasha. I hope that happens pretty soon. And I don't want to say the best part of the summit was that I got to ski with you, Jonathan, but it was up there. Oh, um, <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh, no, the summit was awesome for several reasons. The most obvious one was that despite a year of COVID, we were actually able to come together and engage in an event that uh, felt safe. And we got to do so with a bunch of really awesome people. And it was all based around our mutual passion for skiing and gear. So that was great. And all the attendees I met were really fun people. And it was really good to have these personable interactions. So on a side note, I spend most of my time on Zoom these days. So if I was acting weird, it's because I forget how to act around real people. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think you were weird, turns out. <laughs> okay, so Thanks. yeah, you, uh, and I would definitely have told you. So um no, that was uh, well said. Sasha, thoughts on the summit? Oh, gosh, I thought it was a blast. I thought it went really smoothly. Um, and maybe that's because I just wasn't privy to some of the underlying hiccups. But it really just didn't seem like there were a lot of hiccups. It seemed like vendors were having a really good time. Um, they were excellent to talk to. And for once, it was really great to get their perspective and insight when you had the ski in your hand instead of just at the trade show when you're in downtown Denver and then trying to remember everything they said when you get on the ski. So for me, that was really fun. Um, and then I think the attendees, like seeing how much fun the attendees had, um, they they were, it seemed like they were part of the blister story and, you know, we kept asking them for input and they loved that. And it was so much fun to ski with the attendees and show them kind of like where we ski and, and, and how we go about our reviews. And, um, I just, I just, I couldn't have been more impressed. I think you guys did a great job and big shout out to Kristen because she didn't let a single detail go amiss. So, um, I was totally impressed. Luke. Yeah, well, they basically covered everything I had to say about it. The only thing I'd add, I think right before it was coming, like this year with Outdoor Retailer being all virtual and doing a lot of Zoom meetings for next year's product lineup. So I was like, oh, cool, like we can relax this year and not <laughs> drive to Denver. And then I was like, oh, never mind. We decided to put on our own event yeah. and plan all of it. But uh, I think overall it ended up going quite well all things considered um had a blast skiing with all the attendees and the vendors getting able to uh being able to 
get on a lot of skis that we might not normally be able to, or especially getting on different lengths of skis we have already reviewed in other lengths and just talking a whole lot of gear over the course of whatever it was, 10 to 10 days or so, um, all tended to blur together, but yeah, pretty psyched on it and very excited about next year. I think I, um, underestimated or just really didn't think about it all. I, I knew that it was going to be a cool thing for the attendees to get to meet our various blister reviewers. And I knew they were going to have a fun time skiing with all of you um, because you all are fun to ski with. So that I was like, I knew that was going to be the case. What I underestimated was the brands themselves, you know, folks from these different brands, getting them out, you know, and doing what we do all the time, which is just talking about how a ski felt on that last run. Um, that I think, I think it was kind of eye-opening for them, you know, the, the, the kind of level. And I kept hearing that like, man, you guys are really thinking about this stuff in a, we like we don't just get together, throw a big rager, and play a bunch of beer pong, and can then barely stand up the next day. And that's what next year's summit. Next for. year, right, right. Luke. <laughs> that's that's the version Luke wants next year. But um, I was kind of um, I think I'd underestimated that that how many of the vendors were like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, I I heard the comment a lot. Like, your reviewers are actually good at skiing. And I also heard like, wow, this mountain is legit. And and I think my favorite thing was, I'm going to out Matt Sturbins. <laughs> I think we had just taken Sturbins down Rambo and he made some comment like, I can't believe you guys ski some, ski some of this stuff. And I mean, Rambo is not by any stretch like the gnarliest line on this mountain, but uh I don't know. I think I think it was kind of um, cool for the vendors to see like, okay, this is who these people are. This is how they ski. This is how they talk about the product, like that kind of instant feedback reaction. And this is actually our testing playground, you know, our test lab. And um, I thought that was all cool. And, and again, um, it was so fun, as you guys have already said, you know, getting to meet attendees, ski with them, have that back and forth on how they were feeling about a particular ski. But I th uh, I think it was cool, too, because I just hadn't been thinking as much about what the brands themselves and the folks from those brands would think of the experience. Yeah. And just to follow up, I mean, I just want to say a huge thanks to our awesome vendors and also a huge thanks to Kristen and Jonathan and everyone involved with planning. I know it was no small feat during a pandemic, but um, I'm already looking forward to next year. So, And I mean, that was the thing we heard, like, literally from everybody. Like, I, I think... Um, I mean, Sasha kept saying it. <laughs> Sasha was like, I can't wait for next year. And... Uh, um, I think every one of the brands that was there was like, oh, we're definitely back here next year. Um, that feels real good. You know, it has been a long process of planning this and the rest. And uh, I mean, mostly I hope that next year a lot more of you can join us. The last thing I want to say on this is like, we are now going to start rolling out 
quite a bit of stuff that we filmed at the summit. And um, I got to say, um, a number of these panel sessions that we had were just incredible. I have not seen anything like this happening in the ski industry. I mean, at least over the last decade. And I think a lot of folks are going to be very, very interested and are going to learn a lot from some of the conversations that we had over the course of Summit A and Summit B. And uh, so that stuff is going to start rolling out uh, pretty soon here. I mean, I, I had I had vendors saying things like, I've learned more in this past week about various aspects of the ski industry than like, I don't know, I've ever learned. And so that felt pretty good too, that these are the people and we were having conversations with such interesting guests that they were like, I, I just was learning a ton on these. And so pretty cool. And, and, uh, you guys have a lot to look forward to if you, uh, if you weren't at the summits. On that note, we did end up getting on a number of skis. We are going to be rolling out uh, some of the feedback that we received from Summit attendees. But, you know, I thought this would be a good opportunity to just run through and have you all tell us about some of the skis that were particularly interesting to you for one reason or another. So that is what we are going to turn to now. And Kara, why don't you kick us off? Awesome. So I think Luke was the one that mentioned that we had the opportunity to ski some of what we've been testing in different lengths. And I think that was a really great opportunity. Sometimes I fall in between like not being able to quite get on some of the really long stuff that gets sent to HQ, but then also, you know, wanting to test the longest available women's ski and things like that. So um, I think the most fun I had was getting to side by side compare the Forefront MSP 99 and the MSP 107. And then this goes up against the 20 or so days I've had on the women's MSP CC this season. Um, so this allowed me to decipher a few things from a series of skis that I feel is incredibly intuitive and versatile and just pretty well balanced across the board. Um, so I got on the MSP 99 in a 181 and to be able to compare that to the MSP CC in a slightly shorter length, um, I found that this improved stability, but it didn't really sacrifice anything in way of maneuverability. Um, and then the 107 also didn't compromise performance on pretty firm conditions across the mountain. And I find that this would be a step forward for versatility if someone's looking for a good one ski quiver that does well on soft snow as well. Sasha, did you spend some time on some of the MSPs and which one, just to clarify for us, which MSPs were you skiing at the summit? Yes, I actually did. I got to ski. Uh, I, I did take the forefront MSP CC 99 out. Um, I believe it was the 171 uh, uh, length, centimeter length. Um, and um and the preface of it was like, oh, Kara loved the ski. Um, you'll like it too. So I did go in with a bias, but the caveat being that Kara and I like totally different skis, totally different lengths. So um, it was kind of fun to get on it and be like, okay, try me ski. If Kara likes it this much, what do you have to offer? Um, 
this ski is probably one of the most intuitive skis I've been on. And that's including my line Pandora. Whoa. Um, that like, Whoa. I know, right? Like that, that says something like you get on the ski and it's just like, it's just there for you. It's like your best friend, I guess. And, um, it's, uh, it, it was damp in the ways I needed it to be damp. And for me, that's kind of, um, like on the head while coming through some of the ruts, um, you know, I, I don't like a lot of vibration coming through that. And, and it was damp enough, but it was still really playful. It was easy to edge. I could hold my, my, um, edge fairly well. It, I tended to have a hard time, um, on some of the skis because they were so stiff. Um, again, they were more, you know, the custom skis, not so much women specific skis, but this ski, um, I had absolutely no problem loading it, but again, it didn't compromise in the stiffness. So I didn't get to try it on banana. So I, I couldn't really do like the tried and true maneuverability test that I was doing with all the other skis. Um, but I, I know we have that ski in headquarters. So I was like, okay, well, if I don't get around to it now, I can grab that ski and, and give it a go, you know, at a later time. Um, I was totally impressed. I think this is a great ski. I think this could be a really good contender for a one ski quiver. And, and for sure it was in my top three ski. So, um, I was, I was really happy on that ski. I think I'm going to stay forefront for a minute and talk about the redesigned forefront Hoji. And <laughs> this is kind of funny to me. Um, we had just before the summit started, we got a comment that came in on the forefront Hoji review that we had published long ago. And the comment, and you guys can read this, I'm pretty sure it's like it's up on the website. Uh, somebody was like, you guys must be way worse at skiing than you think you are because this ski is rad and super easy and intuitive. This comment came in and I had a thought that I then went and looked at our review and you all can do this. Our review of the Forefront Hoji is of the very first version of the hoji that ever came out in existence and i don't know why it i don't know why we haven't been on an updated version of the hoji since then but to be very blunt that first first version of the hoji sucked and really sucked if you were skiing like inbounds in firm snow and like hard pack moguls type of thing. And uh, so it was kind of funny. And I wrote, and again, you can see this reply on our Forefront Hoji review. I was like, dude, check the date of the review. Right? So fast forward, we get to the summit and lo and behold, there is a brand new revised Hoji. So, of course, I get on this ski, and the other, of course, is that I still claim that I have been, like, the world's biggest defender of the Forefront Raven, right? My favorite touring ski, like, of all time. Um, I'm also a very big fan of the Forefront Renegade, which is a 121, 122-millimeter wide, pretty big POW ski, and I can now say with confidence that the updated Hoji slots very nicely between that Raven and the wider Renegade. 
Um, so I've only skied it inbounds at CB so far. I have not toured on it yet. Um, we are going to be getting more time and saying a lot more about that ski, but for our purposes right now, I would say that if you are a fan of the Raven or if you are a fan of the wider Renegade, the Hoji now makes sense as that 111, 112 millimeter wide ski that kind of slots right between the Raven and the Renegade. And, um, we'll be saying a lot more about the Hoji in our full review. The new Hoji is good. It doesn't suck like that first one did. By the way, Hoji himself was like, yeah, no, we didn't hit the mark on that first version. Uh, so I think we're in fairly, you know, good company here. But anyway, yeah, that was, uh, that was really fun to get on that ski. Also, fun fact, Drew Kelly claimed about our friend Rob Dickinson, def who is definitely one of the best skiers at in Crested Butte. Drew, <laughs> Drew was adamant the day that Rob was on the Hoji. Drew was like as adamant as I've ever seen him. He was like, I have never seen Rob ski better, ever. And I was like, what are you talking about? Rob always looks like that? And Drew was like, no, I've never seen him ski this good. And um, I don't know. So high praise from Drew Kelly. That was a weird anecdote, but it was a true one. So anyway, let's move on. Luke Coppa, what say you? Um, well, first off, I also skied the Hoji, and I've spent minimal time on the Raven and the Renegade, but basically I just, mostly I was surprised. One, that it felt like a ski that I would not be mad about skiing inbounds. Um it like especially as skis are pretty light these days it i mean i skied it it's it's 112 millimeters underfoot and i was skiing it on full-on hard pack scraped off and some chalky firm choppy stuff and yeah i mean suspension felt pretty good for how light it is i think it's a great ski for how i ski the terrain around here um super easy to pivot but when you lay into it, it will hold and it won't fold on you or won't fold on me at least. Um, and it was surprisingly predictable on the heinous wind scoured ice section that was the stretch between the Silver Queen lift and the high lift for hmm. a few days. Um, <laughs> really? Normally where I hate reverse camera yeah. skis, but it got me down predictably just as well as any other ski i was on that week um wow that's high but price. anyway yeah got along surprisingly well with the hoji skied uh skied high life for the first time in terrible conditions on that ski um and dragged nick from forefront along uh so that was fun but anyway uh one of the standout skis for me that week was a ski that I had technically already skied, the Dina Star M3 108. But last year, I spent a lot of time on the 182 centimeter length, and they do 10 centimeter length breaks. And so during the summit, I got on the 192, um, which, as we talked about in our original review, we're like, well, the 182 for like people like you and me at our height and weight. It's like that feels, I mean, it's super maneuverable, but almost to a fault for how we like to ski. 
Um, but then skiing a place like Crested Butte where you're doing a lot of tight hop turns and stuff like that, just like the thought of a 192 for someone like me at 5'8 seems a bit excessive, but got on that early morning, like it was, we've been in a bit of a thaw refreeze cycle, not full on spring conditions, but like it's firmer in the morning went out early in the morning with our video guy, Jared, who if for anyone who skied with him does not ski slow, uh, even when he's carrying a few thousand dollars worth of camera equipment on his back. Uh, but I was on that ski with him and it really impressed me both in terms of being surprisingly easy for a 192 but also a whole lot more substantial than the 182 we skied last year. Um, And basically, I mean, my takeaway was just like the 192 is what I wanted the 182 to be. Um, I'm curious, we, that's a ski we're supposed to be getting in for longer term testing along with a few others in the near future. Um, And I'm curious how it will hold up over time, especially in regard to the tune. Um, Because I feel like that's a ski where with a fresh tune, I think it might behave a little bit differently. Um, The 182 felt a little less loose and a little more secure on edge when we first got it versus after a few days. And so we'll, we'll see if if that's the same for the 192 or if the 192 is just a burlier ski. But overall, I was like, this is, it's a ski that's pretty maneuverable, pretty playful up to my standards in those regards. But I mean, I wasn't really finding its speed limit in fairly firm to chalky conditions. And it was honestly just pretty ideal for the the stuff we ski around here. And I know a few other attendees agreed on that. Yeah, for sure. And I, we go a lot more in depth on that in a conversation that I had with Matt Beers from Dina Star, where we talk a lot about the 182 versus the 192. Um, so we'll, we'll keep it moving for now. But yeah, that was one of the most eye-opening things of the summit was how many people were like, this 192 rules. And we were like, wait, what? It just goes to show that not all lengths of a ski perform the same. And, um, you know, again, that 182, and like, I think I still stand by our review of the 182. It's going to be super fun for somebody who wants like a really playful, really loose 182. But... Yeah, the spoiler alert is for those who want less of the super fun, super loose ski, the 192 needs to be on your radar. Even if that sounds really big, it does not ski, it does not ski like a super long, really big 192. And mm-hmm. honestly, that was one of the big surprises that came out of the summit. Yeah, agreed. Kara, you're up next. Yeah, so I was also really eager to get on the Rossignol Rallybird TI um, in a 178 because I had some previous experience on the 171 and overall that ski in the 171 had felt a little bit 
uh, like too quick and maybe not stable enough for my preference. Um, so getting on the 178, it felt maneuverable and lively. I got to kind of ski it all over the mountain on what was a really firm morning. Um, and it still offered good support and stability. Um, I felt uh, offered that a bit more when the snow was chalky or grippy. Um, the rep had mentioned that it might feel really sharp and I didn't really get that at all if it actually just felt really stable on groomers um early morning groomers and i can imagine it would be a blast on slightly softer conditions but overall i did enjoy it all over the mountain and i felt it to be so much more confidence inspiring on firm snow and to provide a lot more power and dampness than the soul seven women's of previous season uh, and sasha might touch on that a little bit the soul seven is not a ski that i tended to get along with especially on firm uh, mountains that um, i'm used to skiing such as taos or crested butte um, so overall i love this direction for rosignol women's skis and i think getting on the 178 exposed more of the experience i was looking for when it comes to stability um, so yeah, I mean, I would even contend like currently I've kind of defined my one, uh, one ski quiver as the Blizzard Shiva 10, but this is kind of like right in line with that ski. So. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Sasha. So just to sum up here, Kara, not a huge fan of the Soul 7, likes the new Rally Bird. And to be clear, Kara, you were particularly fond of the rally bird ti yeah okay sasha turns out big fan of the soul seven yeah i i mean the soul seven was like my unicorn ski a couple of seasons ago so um like it was this awesome ski that could do everything it was so easy to get on edge it could load turns it didn't seem um you know more preference to make smaller turns or larger turns. Um, it had fairly rocker tips, much more so than the Rally Bird, but still they were not chattery by any means. Um, and I mean, I ski that ski everything from cat skiing on Monarch to, you know, more set up snow on colder days at CB. I mean, I, I loved that ski and it was light I, and I don't know, I'm not a very large person. So maybe <laughs> important, maybe. <laughs> important caveat here. Maybe to be, let, let, let me try this. Sasha skis really hard, badass skier, kind of a garden gnome, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you yeah, are... we can go over the garden dome status. I mean, I'm yeah. like five five one. Jonathan doesn't think I'm five one, but I no, am. She's I'm lying one. about that. <laughs> but uh, ski, really good skier, but but a smaller skier. So yeah. So how did this compare? How did the rally bird compare to the Soul Seven? Was kind of like the the rhetorical question. Um, so for once, I was finally on a, a ski in the one sixties, which to be fair is what I think I should be skiing. I think I should. I think that's a, a comfy length for me. Probably more in the higher one sixties though than the one sixty two um, that I was on. So I was on the rally bird one sixty two, and it was not the TI. So um, it was intuitive. It was easy to get on edge. Um, but for me, it was a, a little chattery. And I felt like, um, you know, when I got into the more rutted skis or grooming groomers, when I was, you know, going fairly fast, I had more chatter than I wanted to. And certainly more than I had experienced with the Soul 7. Um, 
And I don't know, you know, what about the Soul 7 versus that rally bird um, made that difference? And or um, I'd be really curious to see if the rally bird TI um, was a little bit more stable and less chattery. They didn't have that ski, so I didn't get on it there. And I did, I did want to compare like apples to apples. So I wanted to be on a 162 rally bird, not TI and compare it to a 162 rally bird TI. I didn't feel like getting on the longer ski would have been, been fair. I think there've been too many variables to kind of really compare them to. Yeah, it, that's, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I did, I'm, I missed the Soul 7 and, but I think it's a really good ski. I think that there will be a lot of people who really, really like this ski and, and, um, I, I think it's a really great ski. I think it's a good ski for the intermediate to advanced skier. Um, and I think that's awesome that, that Kara loved it. And I, I'm really curious to see what that TI would feel like. Really interesting thoughts, Sasha. I did actually ski like one day I was out on, so the, the men's version or the unisex version of the rally bird is called the sender. And they, so they do a sender and a sender TI. And I went back to back days skiing one day, the 187 sender non TI. And then the very next day skiing a lot of the same lines, I skied the 187 sender TI. And I think you might be on to something. The, uh, the skis were actually quite similar, like far more similar than I was expecting. But if you said, all right, pick one, I would take that TI version. I felt like it was just a little more plush. I feel like the suspension was maybe just a little better. Um, so that was my gut instinct, just because I really did. I love the Vocal Secret um, 102, and that's a pretty stiff ski. And and I feel like, you know, something just offering a little bit more stability um, would have been the ticket to ride. And then, you know, to be fair, I have been skiing skis mostly, you know, 170 above, just because Kristen, Karen, I need to share skis. Um, and so it would be what I would like to do would be to get on the 162 TI, see how that compares to the, the non TI rally bird and then get on the longer TI or rally bird TI um, and see how that compares to the 162 TI. So that, that would be kind of where I would take this um, experiment, if you will, to, to its next phase. Yeah. And here's one last thing I want to chime in with. I had a really interesting conversation with Jake Stevens, who is the Alpine product manager for Rosignol. And this conversation is going to be released on Blister in the coming weeks. But Jake said something really interesting. When we talked a lot about the decisions to like kill the the seven series and then this, you know, and then how that transition looks like with the with the new uh, the new senders and the kind of black ops series. And Jake was saying that for fans, big fans of the soul seven, he was now actually suggesting for people, the women's ski is called the stargazer and the unisex ski is called the escaper. And it's 94 millimeters wide. So it's narrower than the Soul 7. But he thought that that was actually potentially the closest new analogy to the Soul 7. So I would love to get you on that Stargazer and see what you think. 
I would be really curious to see to see how um, that compares to the Soul Seven because. Honestly, I didn't feel a lot of um, comparisons on that rally bird by any means. Um, it felt like a pretty redesigned ski yep. altogether. So yes. yeah, yeah. It it ain't it ain't the Soul Seven anymore. Sure isn't. Kara sure is nodding <laughs> approvingly. Happily, and I'm still wearing my black from the funeral that that I uh, that I had to attend for for putting the Soul Seven to rest. So you and Sam Shaheen, yeah. Sam, I wish Sam was here to back me up on this one. Yeah, Jake mentioned that he actually had a chairlift ride with Sam, where Sam I was there. Were you there, Luke? <laughs> yeah, I think there are there are a few four letter words exchanged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just glad that uh that Sam didn't actually murder Jake uh, at the Blister <laughs> Summit. Um but yeah, so um anyway, it's it's interesting stuff and and yeah, to be continued, I think. And and like I said, Sasha, I'm I'm really curious to get you on that that stargazer. And uh Yeah, I'm excited to get on it. That sounds that sounds like fun. Um I'm gonna go real fast here. Um just to keep things moving and we're going to be talking quite a bit more about this ski. Um, I know that there's a ski from Wagner custom skis and we have now skied a number of different Wagner skis. Um, Pete Wagner actually literally built specific skis for the blister summit, which is kind of an interesting thing. And one ski in particular that I want to call out now is the, it doesn't actually have a name because Pete doesn't name things. He just builds like one ski for you. So he might as well just call every one of his models, like the name of the person who contacted him, right? Like that's kind of how this works. And I keep trying to kind of push Pete on this and be like, can we just, so like Luke and I were calling this like the gray ski or the green ski and Pete's and then like, we got mixed up. <laughs> and then we got then we got mixed up. And Pete's like, no, they're summit skis. They're blister summit skis. And I'm like, okay, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna kind of figure out this this naming convention. But I just wanna say, and Luke and I have now both skied this, and we're gonna kind of call it the Wagner 106 for the moment. But this is one of the most balanced skis. I think I've ever been on so much so that it got me thinking differently about how we review skis and hear me out here. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding about this. And so some of you know that over the, over the last several years, I've really fallen in love with the term suspension. That is actually one of my favorite qualities in a ski and favorite things to talk about, you know, and, and, a, and a real mark of whether I'm going to love a ski or not. And the direct analogy here is very much to, if we think about the suspension being set up well on a mountain bike, right? You go ride some gnarly tra trail or you go ride whatever trails that you ride the most. And you think that the suspension on that, you know, that front fork and that rear shock is just money, it's plush enough. It's also responsive enough. Hopefully it just kind of, the bike disappears beneath you and lets you ride exactly the way you want to ride on whatever type of trail you want to ride. This Wagner 106 was so balanced, 
it actually created for me a new analogy that I'm now kind of falling in love with when it comes to review skis. And I don't know, for young people, you might be like, we don't even know what you're talking about. But if you think about stereo equipment and the old school like receivers, and I mean like equalizers are still a thing, right? Like on your Spotify app or whatever, you can decide if you want to like bump up the bass or drop down the treble or like up the mid range or whatever. I was like, this Wagner 106 feels like it is dead set even throughout where the treble never overpowers the mid-range, the bass never overpowers the mid-range or the treble. It is so even and so, like, I, I couldn't even decide, like, okay, would you describe the ski as more stable or more maneuverable? Would you say that it would be better as a touring ski or as an inbound ski? And I was like, holy shit, this equalizer is set dead level all across all of the settings. And I have been thinking about this pretty nonstop for a couple weeks now. And I'm like, yeah, we should think more about skis in terms of like the equalizer setting on a receiver. And some people are going to prefer like real bass heavy stuff. And some people are going to hate that and they want a lot of treble right? And some people want a big mid-range and some people want a low mid-range. Anyway, Pete Wagner literally like generated a new analogy for me in ski reviewing. And I don't know the last time that's ever happened or if it's ever happened. And I'm done talking now. I thought you were going to say it was like the Santa Cruz high tower of skis. No, though I do love that bike very much. But I don't, I would not describe the Hightower as a perfectly balanced bike. Like it, it has things that it's better at. Uh huh. Right? Like it's like the Hightower, I love it, but it is not the best climber out there ever. Whereas like that Wagner, and I want to hear you talk to this, Luke. I mean, but it just was like, it was like a Zen moment of like, this thing just does everything equally well in a balanced way and that's not and again some people will want like a head monster 108 right like let's say that ski just bumps the base up but that was the most balanced ski i've been on in i don't know years maybe ever are you are you referring to so he had i think it was a 107 and a 106 but yeah. basically one was an inbounds build one was a 50 50 build the 50 50 build the like okay. kind of the wavy light gray. We were call I was calling it the gray one. It was very confusing. There's kind yeah. of that wavy pattern on the top sheet. Light they gray. All the same pattern. It was no. just different colors. Pete Wagner. God damn it. But anyway, I, I only skied the the inbounds oriented one, which I think was a little bit heavier than the one you skied. Um, you skied this one. I also well, I think I learned prototype. that you were colorblind. Maybe from this test because with all but the different I skied, the, I skied the prototype of the fifty-fifty build. That ski did not change. That was the one ski that he did not change for okay. the summit. Yeah. So I didn't ski that at the summit, but right. I skied beforehand. Yeah. But then I also skied the heavier, yes. more inbounds oriented yeah. one. And the main thing that stood out to me was just the the blend of 
how easy they were to get off edge and release and pivot through weird off piece stuff. Mm -hmm. But combine that with how well they carved Mm -hmm. was definitely the standout feature for me. I, I mean, apart from far narrower skis, I can't think of many skis I was on this year that I thought offered as equal of a balance between on and off piece performance. Like those Wagner skis, I, unlike you, I really enjoy carving and especially carving hard on piste, oh. but we both like skiing off piste. Uh, and the Wagner skis were a blast because I could really lay into them hard when we were skiing groomers on the way back to the lift, but I didn't feel like they were like super hooky or grabby yeah. or difficult to just slash around through steeps or bumps or trees or whatever. Um, so yeah, I would agree in that they are very well balanced. And I mean, the tricky thing with Wagner is like, like you said, Wagner d- doesn't make ski models. They make your skis, but the, this is the first year I was on a pair and I was quite impressed with what they came with, uh, from the 97 underfoot model to the multiple kind of like mid 100 with models as well yeah and we're gonna be talking more about that 97 soon because i got i got things to say about that ski too i love that you just claimed you like to carve hard on piste and i don't i just don't like doing it on lightweight skis give me a give me a head eye tighten give me the green K2 disruption. And you just need to learn how to carve tighter turns and appreciate getting in the air between them. Okay, that might fair actually. All right, I'll give you that. Um, did did you just, are we moving on to Kara? Did you just blow your turn there? Okay, okay. Kara, you're back up. Sorry for that um, long digression. Oh, that's all right. I think I'll just kind of... Uh introduce the ski and then I think Luke might want to follow up as well but I was really stoked to not only get on some Wonder Alpine skis but just also learn a lot about that company um talk to Pep and Zan and everyone involved in what they're doing I think is awesome so um yeah not only are they like aligning to my values in regard to sustainability they are building pretty awesome skis so i had um a morning on the vital 100 as well as the intention 110 and yeah it was really impressed with their all-around uh performance on resort um i think they handle a little bit better off piste and kind of like making more like quick uh sort of pivoty turns on steep terrain and things like that it's where i really found i enjoyed them um but yeah they were playful and lively and overall um just really fun uh particularly the vital 100 i had a awesome morning on so Luke, do you want to jump in on that since Kara gave you the window? Yeah, and I think Sasha also has some comments about the vital especially, but um, it was nice in this scenario because one, the Intention 110 we got was a super early production model that ended up having a a weird tune on it. So it was nice to be able to ski um, one with a proper tune and it ended up feeling much more similar to the previous 1920 version we had tried, which I was psyched to 
psyched to feel because the the one we had was a little weird at first but yeah i mean even on in the resort like they're they're not your typical touring oriented skis like i spent an early firm morning on the vital 100 and i think i spent a f- basically a full day on the intention 110 also in pretty firm conditions and I mean, having skied a wide variety of resort-oriented skis this year, I wasn't like, oh, this is a touring ski. Like, I need to stop skiing this because this feels stupid. Um, One thing that stood out to me is, like, while those shapes of those skis aren't really oriented towards carving, like, they don't have big fat tips that pull you into a turn. I mean, (laughs) we were with a pretty aggressive group when I was on the Intention 110, and it was not soft, and... I just kept driving it harder and it kept holding and I could tell that it was a pretty torsionally rigid ski that wasn't just washing out on me. Um, so I was very impressed with the hard snow performance of that ski while it, it was still also like the previous version, plenty easy to just slash around and the vital 100 while it wouldn't be my top pick for skiing fast and firm resort conditions. Um, especially compared to a lot of skis in that width, I was very content skiing it on the steeper stuff around here. And I kept telling like Matt and Zan, like I'm mostly just really excited to take it out in some steeper, like spring terrain where you're making a lot of hop, hop turns and slashy turns and carving corn. Um, and I think what they're doing in terms of, um, balancing, uphill and downhill performance for people who prioritize the latter is pretty cool. Um, and I know Sasha kept raving about the vital 100, I think in particular. Yeah. And I, I'm actually really excited. Uh, Kara brought it up because, um, it was the first ski I got on and I remember Zan was like, Oh, I felt it. I was like, Oh, this is a really light ski. He's like, yeah, don't be fooled. It'll be great. I'm like, yeah, please. And I took it out there and like, I had a blast carving on this ski, um, but equally as much fun as I did, it, it, you know, because of its lightweight, it's very maneuverable and it's incredibly damp. I was like, wow, who could have thunk that algae would have been so damp, right? But then I was like, well, maybe this is just because my garden gnome status doesn't have enough weight to throw into the ski. So I was like, well, I can't wait to see what Kara and Kristen think of it, about this ski. So I'm psyched that Kara, Kara was on board because I was, I was incredibly impressed and, um, you know, again, I would not hesitate to grab this ski for, you know, a, a resort oriented ski, but something that maybe you could put, you know, shifts. I mean, obviously it'd be a great 50, 50 ski cause it's so light, but yeah, you could definitely put shifts, uh, bindings on it. And I don't know, I could see that if, if I only had so much money to put into one ski, I could see that being one of those one ski quivers that could still carry over to the backcountry a little bit too. So I was, I was super impressed. Quick question. So like when I was on the Vital 100, um, I mean, probably the most memorable line I skied was, you know, just a staircase slap on it. And it felt, that ski felt quite good um, coming down staircase, which is, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you describe it. It's a steeper. It's the four star free ride qualifier event comp. Great way to put it. It is the four star (laughs) free ride qualifier comp, um, line. And, um, 
so yeah, fairly serious, a fairly serious line here at at uh, Crested Butte, and that ski felt very predictable and calm enough. And again, I think you all know by now, I'm not, I'm not inclined to be like, oh yeah, these lightweight skis ski great in bounds, right? I don't think that and do that. That ski held up. My biggest thing. And here's why I would push back. And I'm curious to hear if you guys had a different experience. I didn't feel like that ski was a great carver on firm groomers. And for that reason, I would caution if, if you care about it's like, yo, if you want to go ski staircase and like heavier lines, I, that's where I actually felt more comfortable on the Vital 100. Did you guys feel like you were carving groomers well on that ski? I did. But again, I think that could be my weight. I mean, was I carving as finessefully and precise as I was maybe on the Folsom primary or even, you know, the, that the Folsom um, turbo ski that we we're on the Spar turbo? Probably not. But um, for me, I was able to load a ton of energy into that ski um, all my 100 pounds into it to get a really good carve. But it could just be my size. I don't know. Yeah, my my thing was I mean, both the vital and the intention have slightly longer side cut radii than I think is average by these days. And they do require a bit more speed, but I skied the vital earlier on in the summit and then skied the intention, which is actually the wider ski later on and just found myself, like I said, like pushing it harder and just trying to reach its limit in terms of edge hold and wasn't really finding it. Like it was a ski that felt better the harder I laid into it and just gripped better the harder I was pushing it. Um, definitely not a ski that pulls you across the fall yeah. line. Doesn't feel like it's designed yeah. with carving yep. as a priority. But I think for skiers with good technique, they could have a good time on it um, on whether it's on a groomer or like a wide open bowl in the spring when you're carving through corn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely not a ski that excels on piece or smooth snow, but I was impressed by both. And uh, um, I think mostly cause I skied last year, we skied the intention 110 with pretty minimal time on groomers, which yep. makes sense. Like yep. they market them both as backcountry skis. And I think that's where they make sense. But um, yeah, I was mostly just pleasantly surprised. And it was really nice to ski both of them with full Alpine bindings because the pairs we have are like they're backcountry skis. We're going to ski them with backcountry touring bindings in the backcountry for the most part. But it was it was nice to have the opportunity to really push them hard um, and uh, be impressed by how well they held up when we did so. Where are we at? Who's going next? I'll touch up on the Icelandic Nia um, just so that I have an original idea and don't have to coattail on poor Kara's <laughs> ideas here. Um, so this, this ski, the Nia Pro, and I think the Saba Pro, um, I, you know, I guess uh, I stopped at the booth at OR last year um, and I've just been following the storyline mostly on social media and they've got really cool graphics and I love graphics. I'm a sucker for good graphics. So I've kind of followed the storyline, which is basically they gathered all their athletes and they designed their dream ski. Um, I don't know really the, the details of it, but 
the guys came up with a ski, the gals came up with a ski. Um, so the, the Icelandic Nia Pro, um, which is a hundred and foot, 105 centimeter ski was the equivalent to the Saba Pro, which was the men's version, which is, I think even like crazy wide, like 117. Um, but I was really curious to see what this ski had to offer. I was very entertained by the storyline behind it. Um, it's a pretty rockered ski, so I wasn't sure if it was going to, you know, do great. We were skiing pretty chalky conditions, um, and certainly in the morning, things were pretty um, hard just because it was getting so cold. I was totally impressed, though. It was really intuitive to get on edge. Um, I was really – it was easy to get over on my edges, Um and, you know, I really could put power into the ski and get a good dynamic pop at the end of my carb turns. And then again, at the, on the head wall, um, when we were skiing, you know, more chalky stuff that had been rutted up, especially in the mornings, um, there was very minimal chatter. It was a very, it was for me, again, it was a really, it was a stiff enough ski damp. So um, I was really excited to see the ski. I mean, it wasn't as damp, I'd say, as like the vocal secret or the Folsom primary, but um, I, I had a really great time on the ski. So I'm really excited to try to get more time on the ski. Um, I was skiing this ski in a 179 centimeter, which I think is my perfect length. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to ski what this ski will look like in, you know, more powder conditions, soft chopped as a charge, as well as the Santa Ana 100, 104 free, um, you know, in the soft chop, um, I I'm excited to see and, and kind of test those conditions with the ski too. Okay. Well, I think where I want to take us is to the Folsom Cash 106. Now, we talked a bit earlier in this conversation how the 192 centimeter Dinastar M Free 108 was one of the big surprises of the summit. The Folsom Cash 106 was either just as big of a surprise or a bigger surprise for the summit. Um, this is a ski that I confess when I first saw like the tip shape of it, I was out because it's a bit of a five point shape on the, on the tip. So like that front half, I was like, yeah, that's just not really my thing. No big deal. Other people are into that kind of thing. It's just not for me. The back half of that ski, I was like, that looks real nice. And I don't even remember why, but I ended up getting on that ski and then went and had a super good time on it. Turns out, Blister reviewer Drew Kelly, whose favorite ski of all time, and he was skiing it again today, was the Head Monster 108. That's his favorite ski. I saw Drew taking this ski out and I was like, well, this isn't going to end well. Um, turns out Drew was like, wow, I love this ski. And it's really making me rethink whether I need like the stiffiest, the, sorry. And it's really making me rethink whether I always need the stiffest, heaviest ski, like maybe literally ever built. Um, a number of people got on this Cash 106. And honestly, uh, again, if you just went off the looks, I was like, yeah, I'm not a real 
I'm not a five point tip shape kind of guy. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it just means that it's a heavier tapered tip. Um, there's more tip taper on it, and then it kind of bumps out to its widest point a lot lower down the tip. But that ski felt so quick and supportive through the tail that I found that the ski was just encouraging me to ski faster, and it was fine to get loose because it was so forgiving and supportive that it was just like, you go do your thing, go ahead, get on the edge of control, we got you. And um, it was a bit of a revelation. The one thing I also want to say, this is why you should never put too much stock in ski reviews that just are like, well, it's a five-point shape, so it's going to be quick, really quick, but kind of twitchy. It's like, if the people aren't telling you how much time they actually got on that ski and where they skied it, I hope after like 10 years of doing this at Blister, we've given you reason to be very suspicious of like, this is what this ski does. You know, and, and again, I've mentioned this before. We're seeing this come up where people are like, we're going to tell you what this ski skis like just based off of its flex pattern. It's like, nope. That's not enough, nor is it enough to look at the tip shape of a ski and be like, that ski's not for me, or it's going to respond like this. So again, if you're going to like read ski reviews, hopefully you are hearing how much time the reviewers have actually put on a given ski, where they're skiing it, and then trust those things. And slight tangent rant. Anyway... Folsom Cash 106. I don't know anybody at the summit who got on it and wasn't into it, including the Incredible Hulk, Drew Kelly. Sasha, Sasha and Luke, I think you both spent some time on maybe some different lengths. I skied it only in a 188 centimeter length. Did you guys ski that? Yeah, I did ski. I did not ski the 188 length, though. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, that's probably for the best. I, yeah, I so I got to A and B the Cash 106 and the primary Folsom Primary 104. So Mike was like, "Here, you X racer, take this primary out." And I was like, "Okay, great. Yeah, it's gonna be great." And that ski was a bit punishing for me. That said, there are some some gals um, attendees who loved that ski who were great technical skiers without a tech or racer background. So I'd be really curious to see what um, these other attendees, um, uh, you know, kind of point out and, and describe in the Blister Summit questionnaire um, regarding the Folsom Primary Ski. But for me, yeah, that was a hard ski to ski. And then I got to kind of A-B that with the Folsom Cash 106. Um, this is the last ski I skied on. And so um, this is probably the first full day I've put on from like, put on the snow in the past three days, like getting on the lifts at nine. And I was on the ski at like 3.30 and it's a heavy ski. Um, so I was like, oh God, here we go. I'm going to get punished again. But my experience was the same as yours, Jonathan. I was, um, it had my back and, and I guess the, the place I could see that the most was, um, skiing, you know, Dylan challenged me to a top to bottom of banana split at like what, four forty-five, and like his, his, the whole like Western free ride ski team was there. And I was like, just go. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I didn't, I didn't 
um, win by any means. And I definitely like got in the backseat and I should have been like doing backflips cause I was so in the backseat, but like, <laughs> like miraculously the ski was like, Nope, gotcha. And yep. I was like all of a sudden forward. And I was like, wait, what is going on here? Like, there's no reason <laughs> yes. I should be, I should be like even making a next turn, but here we are. Yep. And again, like my legs were so tired and this is a not a light ski. So like my quads were crying, but again, you know, anytime I got into the back, seat i was just like okay just ride it out it's it's gonna take care of you um so i i love that ski i think that was a really fun ski to ski and definitely in my top three for sure wow luke did you spend time on it yeah so i've never skied the inbounds version um last spring i started spending time on the the basically their touring build of it which is a full carbon laminate and i think a aspen maybe some bamboo core generally just a a lot lighter than the versions uh u2 skied but anyway i think my impressions mostly line up with you what you guys said like pretty easy to ski quite versatile but can be pushed pretty hard um for me personally i I feel like I'm more drawn towards the, not the primary 104, but the primary 110. Mm-hmm. Um, the original ski that you worked on with Folsom, yeah. that was reverse camber, fair, like a slightly more symmetrical design in terms of shape and rocker profile yeah. versus the cash or the primary 104. Um, but yeah, I mean, for more directional skiers who like drew or you or sasha who just want to ski everywhere and carve a bit slash around a bit it seems like a pretty versatile shape and people can check out what we what we wrote in the buyer's guide about the the carbon version of the the cash 106 um but there were there were a couple other fulsome skis that clearly stood out and we're on very opposite ends of the spectrum (laughs) the one that i got to ski was their spar turbo which is kind of like in that new category of fun carvers which i love um essentially just like ski with a fairly tight side cut radius but that's a bit wider a bit more versatile than your traditional tight radius carving piece oriented ski um, and it was kind of funny talking to Mike at Folsom. He's like, it's like talking about how great they are on groomers and how they're <laughs> not like an all mountain ski. And the first thing I took them on was headwall. Um, and they were super fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I do with every ski we get, unless yeah. it's like under 85 underfoot. Um, but anyway, like, I mean, as long as the bumps weren't super tight, it was really fun to carve like bump lines and it wasn't hooky. And I think the tune they had on that pair was great. And I mean, yeah, it was, it was a lot more versatile than I expected, but it was also easily the best carver I I got on at the summit. Like it does make groomers a lot of fun. And I mean, 
basically half my runs most of the times are on groomers mm-hmm. and so it was a blast mm-hmm. um i the only thing i'm bummed about is i skied though i think the 182 i would love to get on the shorter length because that's an even tighter radius i think and even easier to bend um but overall i mean i think if it's kind of in that same category as like a line blade like ski that's really fun to carve really hard on piste but can be taken off piste and compared to the blade the spar definitely more comfortable at higher speeds can be pushed harder not quite as easy to bend into those ultra tight turns but a blast for people who enjoy skiing on groomers as much or more than they do off piste and then on the total opposite end of the spectrum was the Folsom turn tech which is their (laughs) straight ski um and unfortunately i i feel like i was the only one that didn't get on it but um i think Sam Shaheen. I didn't. I didn't Dylan either. Wood. Somehow, okay. I didn't either, Luke. So we we're, we're going to need to get that in because yeah, go pr- please go on. But I didn't talk to a single person. Like yeah, every person, whether reviewer, attendee, vendor who got on that yeah. was hyped on it, <laughs> and like Sam wouldn't shut up about yeah. it. And there was one guy, one one attendee who I think Mike was saying is like. All right, I'll I'll see you I'll see you in thirty minutes, and then he didn't see him for the rest of the day because, I mean, it's it's fun to get on something different, and the turn tech is I think it's sixty nine millimeters underfoot, and depending on what time of day I was talking to Mike, the side cut radius changed from anywhere from like forty to sixty nine meters, but basically it's it's a it's a modern straight ski with some with a bit of tip and tail rocker i think it's 201 or 203 but i i got some very entertaining pictures of people on that ski and i will i might have to drive over to aspen to to grab a pair for when it gets real slushy here but yeah that's definitely one of the skis that i i most want to get on in the future well folks that is actually just a few of the highlights and just a few of the skis that we wanted to talk about from the summit. And, and again, we're going to be saying more about a lot of the skis there. Um, We are going to be making some of the feedback from summit attendees available to blister members. We've got, we're cooking up some new thoughts about, um, we're pretty psyched actually on this on this blister summit questionnaire that we created for this event and are are probably going to be incorporating this into some bigger ways in general on blister so um yeah anyway this just gave you a taste of what we were up to at the summit and um i think we should probably sign off on that but before we do as is tradition i think uh I'm just going to take this one for our what we're celebrating this week segment. It's really interesting. And I I have talked before about how remarkable the people are on our squad here at Blister. And I will say, um, launching this summit was a big deal. There were several vendors at the summit who said things like this is the most important new development in the ski industry in a very long time 
And we feel really good about that. Our buyer's guides, when we started those things and and where those are today, I'm very proud of that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of the principles on which we kind of operate around here. But this summit was just a reminder once again that seriously, the very best thing in my view about Blister is the people that we have here. And getting, we didn't get to have everybody here this year. And Paul Forward was really, really bummed that he wasn't able to make it from Alaska. And he is promising that next year he will be at the summit. You know, uh, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob is telling me that he is going to be here next year at the summit. So we didn't even have like our whole squad, but just getting to see all of you and having Sam back again and, you know, getting a good number of you. It's just like, I just can't say enough about the people that we have attracted to this thing that we're doing over the years. And uh, the summit really just made that crystal clear to me once again. We got some really good folks here. Um, They're nice people. They get after it. They are so passionate about skiing. And um, I think that I, I... I am willing to wager that any of the summit attendees listening to this will be nodding vigorously. The people from different ski companies hearing me say this, I think will be nodding vigorously. And so this week I am celebrating all of you. And, uh, it is, uh, it is the best part of this whole blister journey thing that, uh, that we've been doing for a while. We've got some really good folks and, uh, was just so fun uh, to have like a number of you together. And I'm really proud of all of you and what you do and what you do for this industry. So this week I'm raising my glass to you guys. So cheers to you. And on that note, I think we will finally sign off from this fairly lengthy gear 30. So Kara, Sasha and Luke, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for everything you did with the summit. And, uh, thanks for this little recap episode here tonight. Thanks, Jonathan, for putting it together. And Kristen, thanks so much for, for making it happen for us. It was it was so much fun. I can't wait for next year. Yeah, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next year. Good night. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and also leave us that five-star rating in iTunes and tell your friends about the show. I also want to say thanks to Kara and Sasha and Luke for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again this coming Monday over on our Blister podcast, where Cody Townsend and I will once again be reviewing the latest news. So we will catch you over on our Blister podcast feed on Monday. And for now, bye.